Tonight we're going to start in 2 Peter chapter 3. If we had to give a title, we're going to talk about the notion, the idea of when we pray, do we, do we simply, simply pray that God's will be done? It's, a, it's become a very popular way to, to pray, and quite honestly, I think there's, there's quite a few flaws with the idea of when we go to pray, we just kind of leave it up to God we don't get specific, we, we really don't go out on a limb on our own to pray for something specific, and we just say something along the lines of, you know, if it be God's will. Second Peter um, chapter 3, I guess before I read that verse, uh, let's, let's open in prayer because I'll, I'll need it. Father, we, we pray, Lord, that you would be here with us tonight in this hour, and we pray that we would all be conformed to the image of Christ and Lord, I pray that you hide me behind that old rugged cross. Please let your words be spoken here, Lord. Give me utterance. Let there be no confusion, Father, but only clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. You should all say amen very loud on that. Amen. Um, for one thing, when, uh, to set the stage here to make sure every, we know what, what we're talking about. To simply pray to the Father that... Uh, Lord, if it's your will, uh, you know, don't let my, my favorite dog pass away here. And when we pray that if it be thy will, for the first thing, and the first word in that sentence is the word if. And if naturally leads to a little bit of confusion. Does God really want to do this? Do we know that God wants to do this? We're implying that he doesn't. And we're also somewhat stating that we don't even know if we should be praying this. If we say, if it be your will, take care of this situation for me. And praying in that way, um, people tend to, it's like almost a salve, an ointment for our conscience that we have prayed. But if we use the word if, we kind of leave ourselves a little bit of an out. You know, it, it does take faith to walk out on the plank. And for somebody to come up to me and pray, John, I'm praying something very specific for you because if it's specific, now we've got a marker we can tell, is it going to happen or isn't it? And you know, in the back of our mind, we're all human. We're, we're people. We're flawed. And if I was praying for my great aunt and I said, Lord, if it's your will, see, I have a, my conscience has a way then, if it doesn't work out, I can relax maybe in the notion that, well, God just didn't want it to happen. But the Bible doesn't teach us anything like that. The Bible doesn't tell us, especially in our example, talking about healing. That's usually when this, this type of prayer is used, when it comes to healing. You know, if someone is praying for a spouse, if they see somebody they really like, they don't use the word if then. They don't necessarily say if it's God's will. Some people even say, Lord, let them, let them divorce the person they're married to and let them marry me. See, that's something they're not worried about, the if. Of course, that's a wrong prayer. But this idea of if, some things aren't understood, are they? if it be thy will. Well, let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. Now the second half of that verse teaches something about what God's desire is, or in other words, his will. It even uses that word. It says he's not willing that anyone should perish. In other words, another way to say that, it is of course God's will that everyone be saved. And we want to use our powers of logic a little bit here. None of us read that verse that says, it's God's will that everyone wants to be saved. And we don't come to the conclusion then, well, if it's God's will that they be saved, they must be going to get saved. That we don't have to evangelize. You see what I'm getting at? That if it is God's will, and if that's all that matters, if, it's, if the only thing that matters is it's God's will that those people, that everybody gets saved, well, why should I waste my time talking to them? Why should I witness to them? Why should I ever try to persuade them to Christ? Because if it's God's will, it'll just get taken care of. See, we don't think that way when it comes to salvation, do we? But somehow we let our mind, we think the opposite when it comes to healing. We, we walk into that hospital and we've got our, our cousin laying there and, and they need a miracle. And somehow it comes out very easy. Lord, if it be thy will, raise this cousin up. And some people think that praying that way, they are in faith. And you may ask them, see, I've had this. Very recently, you asked somebody, well, do you believe that God wants to heal them? And they say, well, if it's his will. Well, you see, even if it is his will, that prayer is not effectual. The Bible speaks of that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That word effectual, that tells me that you can pray effectually and you can pray things that it really doesn't move anything. And you know, we're kind of getting down to the, the nuts and bolts of it, you know. And to me, this is where I want to be in life. I don't want to know just theory. I want to know what does God think about these things. And hopefully at the end of this hour, we'll see this a lot more clearly. So we know here, God's desire is for that every single person to be saved, yet we don't conclude, rightfully so, we don't conclude that, well, I don't have to do anything. They will get saved somehow through God's will. See, the same thing when it comes to praying for the sick. We shouldn't think that as long as I just pray, Lord, if it's your will, heal them. Just Let's say that it is. If it is God's will, you're not, we're not praying in any way to move the Father. Just because it's His will doesn't mean that it's just going to get taken care of. You see, the Lord has put some of these things in our hands. And the older I get, this is starting to dawn on me. Because you look around this earth and you see the problems. You see nations that live in squalor, unmentionable misery. And people ask the question, if there is a loving God, how could he allow that? The Bible teaches, of course, it's not his will. So why is it that they live like that? It's because, very simply, the Bible says, Psalm 115, verse 16, that the Lord created the, that the heaven and the earth. The heavens are the Lord's, it says, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. That started to hit me. The earth, he's, he's given it to us in this way. This is not the best example, but at our wedding ceremony, Jennifer's father walked her down the aisle. Now, feminists won't like the wording of this, but in a way... 
He owned her. That doesn't mean he owned her as a slave, but he begot her. Jennifer came from her father and her mother. They had the legal authority to give her away at the wedding. At the ceremony, the, the pastor, the, the officiating minister, he says, who gives, this woman to be away, to, who gives this woman to be wed? And her father, of course, speaks up and says, I do. He has that legal right. It's, it's his decision. He, his sovereignty. That's the reason I went and asked him if, we, if this was okay. Ready to duck, looking for the answer. But you ask this because he does have the authority. He does have the right. He could have said, standing there at the front of that church, said, no, the mother and I have talked last night. We're backing out of this. And quite honestly, he could have done that. and They could have walked out in the same way. It's not the best example, but God does own the earth. He made it. He created it. came from him. But what did he do? He gave it to us. And in a manner of speaking, he almost leased it out to us for a certain amount of time. So, let's turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Lord, let there be no confusion tonight. Let me speak this clearly. So, why shouldn't we pray when it comes to healing? Lord, if it be thy will. For, well, for one thing, I'm jumping a little bit ahead, but we know what his will is. We know what his will is. Now, sticking with this example of salvation that we know, according to 2 Peter 3.9 that we just read, that God, his will is that everybody be saved. You realize, not even just us who we like, but even the people we don't like. It's his desire. It's his will. But that doesn't mean everybody makes their own decision properly. Because he did give them choice. And he's given us choice in the way that we pray. He's given us choice even if we decide to pray or not. Now looking at salvation, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus says, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the gospel. That's telling them the good news. That's telling them the story that God had a nation of Israel. And through those people, He brought a son who was the Messiah. He paid the penalty for sin so that you could be saved, that you could be made righteous and have access to the Father. And when you tell that to somebody, if they hear it and they got guts enough to believe it, the Bible says that instantaneously they are now born of God. They become a new creature. Now the point is, if it's God's will that people be saved, why don't they just become saved? Because God's will, He's sovereign. I mean, He can do anything. And you know what? He can. But in His can-do-anything, He made a choice. He made a choice to hand the earth to us. And this does not mean, of course, that God can't do anything in this earth. Of course He can. But He gave people choice. And He gave us choice. He is going to ask some hard questions about me. I may have to answer to why there is such a mess in Bangladesh. I may have to answer about the people I voted for when it comes to why was there such a mess in some places of the earth. So Jesus tells people that go out and preach. In other words... Even though it's God's will that they be saved, what did He still command us to do? He told us to basically take that will of the Father as a confidence that we know this is what He wants us to do. 
We take that, we put it in our backpack, and now we go out and we talk to that scoundrel. And we tell him that he needs Jesus. Now, why don't we just sit there and say, well, it's God's will, it must happen, because we recognize that God put this stuff into our hands. Let's turn to Mark chapter 13, since we're this close. And this verse of Scripture, Mark 13, 34, goes a long way. Jesus' words, talking to his disciples, goes a long way in trying to describe what I'm having a little trouble with. Trying to get across. Mark chapter 13, verse 34. And this is all Jesus' words. For the Son of Man is as a man. Now, he is saying that what the Son of Man is like, he's just like the following. I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give a word picture of parable. The Son of Man is just like this. It is as a man taking a far journey who left his house and he gave authority to his servants. He gave authority to his servants. And what that means is praying for the sick. It is not simply all about what God wants or what God's will is. We know what God's will is. The Bible says in Matthew, I think 13, that Jesus went everywhere doing three things. He went preaching, teaching, and healing the sick. And the Bible records countless examples of him healing people. Sometimes it doesn't even take the time to mention specific ones. It just says he healed every single person in the town. It couldn't even take the time to list them all. And we read that to get this notion that it was such a plan, excuse me, such a part of God's plan of redemption to include healing that we should never doubt that. That it is completely God's will. It's what He wants. Now again, just because it's His will, that doesn't mean that that is in itself a magic wand. We are supposed to appropriate that when we pray. Jesus told his disciples that this is what I, he said, this is what my life is like. I came down here, I'm paying for the penalty of sin, and then he said, it's like I'm taking a far journey. When I leave here, I'm leaving this earth, but I'll be back. I'm taking a far journey. He left his house and he gave authority to his servants. You know, there's even a good example when Jesus was on the earth. What did he do to the 12 disciples and then the the 70? It says that he sent them out and they went everywhere casting out devils and healing the sick. You know, I think it it gets implied to people that God likes to concentrate power and authority at the top level, that only He is in charge of this. But the Bible shows us that the blood of Jesus so cleansed us, so perfected us in atonement, that God was then willing to pass out some of His authority to us, to put us in position to accomplish His will on the earth. You see, I've got to take a, five minutes here, read through history, and you see things like David going out before Goliath. Was it God's will that that nine-foot giant destroy the nation of Israel? And none of us read the story and think that. We... We're all, everybody's standing up in the inside, you're cheering for that, that young teenage boy, David, out there. The guy had guts enough to go out there. He, he didn't just go down to the brook and pray. He grabbed the stones and he did pray. 
you know, Lord, you, you give me strength today. But he got up off those knees. He, didn't, he could have been like what, what I've done. He could have just prayed, Lord, if it be your will, let that guy fall, trip over his shoelaces, and hit a rock right in his head, and let him die. Now he prayed for this Goliath to die, but he got up off his knees and he walked out in front of him. Took out his own sling and he killed him. He appropriated God's will. He knew what God's desire was and he used that as his, he took that authority to go out and we read stories like that and you can see throughout history where when somebody gets on God's principled side and they're accomplishing his will, God kind of nudges the outcome in their direction. You know how close we came to losing the Civil War? The Union? I say we. I think to myself I'd have been on the Union side. General Lee was, the, in the South, he was very close to sealing off Lincoln in the White House in Washington and capturing Lincoln and Washington. He made a few fatal mistakes and the Union just happened to do what was right that day and they beat him back. It was very close. God just always happens to nudge history for the people who stand up and get on His side of will, of right. But Abraham Lincoln had to get up and he had to speak the words that he spoke. He had to let the South know and he told them, you people fire a shot at us, you're the aggressors. We've done nothing here. Don't tell us when this war is over that we came after you. We haven't fired a shot. And about 10 minutes after that, they started firing in South Carolina on Fort Sumner. And that's when he said, you've crossed the line. We have the authority and here we come. You know, he didn't just pray that God would be on his side. He did pray that. But he then had to lead a nation in war. World War II, America did the same thing, only in different parts of the earth. We fought for what was right. For what God clearly spells out is his will. And history is littered with this. A couple of key people with guts stand up. They see what God wants, what his desire is. And instead of just praying for it, which they do, but they also appropriate God's will in the earth. And God has a way of standing up for those people. Second, Corinthians, Second Chronicles 16.9 says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. He gets involved here on the earth. He does it for the people that don't just wonder what God's will is. They find out what it is and they go to work for it. Well, better get into some scriptures here. Let's go to, let's go to Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 8, verse 1, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, in other words, if you want this to happen, you can make me clean. So this leper, he used the word if also, didn't he? He, he wasn't necessarily praying, yet he was trying to discern, Lord, if you, he knew that Jesus could do this. He had seen, or at least he had heard, 
Jesus' fame went all over. And he ascertains the will of the Lord. If you want to do this, I can be made whole. And of course, Jesus in verse 3 put forth his hand, touched him and saying, I will. This, I bring this up for no other reason than just to cement in our mind, it's God's will to heal. Now, I should have started this off this evening by saying, I do not pretend to know everything there is to know about prayer. I don't really know of too many people that would say that. But there are some things that are, I think are clearly taught in Scripture that we need to have cemented in our conscience so that we don't doubt about them. And one of them is this. That man asked, if you will, if you want to, you can heal me. And Jesus immediately, I will. And all of Scripture supports that, that God wants. It's his desire to heal. And if that's the case, when we utter the words, Lord, if it be your will, raise up Uncle Joe. You see, that clearly shows us that there's no faith in it. Because you are doubting whether or not God even wants to do this. That completely turns faith on its head. And what God is asking us to do, He is asking us to do kind of the walk out on the limb. And He's asking us to go in there and pray. All right, Uncle Joe, we're going to pray for you. And there's no big equation here, but we lay our hands saying that's what the Bible says. And we pray and we speak to it. And we pray in such a way as if we know God's will and that we are appropriating it. Really, if you boil it down, what is prayer? Prayer is knowing what God wants, what His will is, and appropriating that authority into the earth. Father, we pray. It's like we prayed for Hilton Sutton. Touch this body one more time, Lord, and raise him up. And that is almost, in a sense, it's making a demand. It is using the authority that we've been given. That's what Jesus said. He said, I'm like a man that's going in a far journey. I'm leaving the earth for a while. But I'm leaving behind to my servants authority. Now I should stop here and say this. Too often, at least critics of this, when they hear this taught, they think that I'm preaching a haughtiness, uh, that we think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And I would contend it's exactly the opposite because the Christian is someone who has recognized, they've looked into the mirror of the Scripture and they've seen where they've missed it. They've seen that they are a sinner and that they need redeemed. The sinner has come to the conclusion, my God, if I don't, if I, if I don't accept Christ, I'm lost. I have to have what He is offering, what He did for me. And it's a humility thing. I have now recognized that I am totally dependent on God for my salvation. I believe in what He did for me. He paid the price, but I have to believe it. So someone that understands that God has put them in a certain position to appropriate His will into the earth, that's not somebody that's high and mighty, that thinks they're better than everybody else. That's actually somebody who has recognized, I'm a filthy, lying, whatever I've done before I became saved, and God redeemed me. It recognizes that you need a Savior. The haughty person is the guy that's walking down the street and he doesn't think he needs anybody. He's George Jefferson. And he doesn't need anybody. I don't need that. I don't need that religion. I don't need God. See, that person is the one who is conceited in their mind. They don't recognize 
what they need, the cleansing power of the blood that God is offering. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm quite sure that one thing that leads people to think in terms of praying, Lord, if it be your will to heal, and what causes them to doubt whether or not it really is God's will to heal, they come to this conclusion because everybody can point to one example, at least in life, where someone has prayed that someone get healed and it didn't happen. And that's an, that's, an easy, that's an easy thing then to just let our mind ignore what the Bible says. Because we, we all know of when it happened and everybody's kind of scared to go there. And the question really should not be asked, what if it doesn't work? The question should be asked, what, what if it works? I mean, we're talking life and death here for some people. What if it does work? And not to mention, God just happened to say it. So, we're not saying that we're perfect at this, but we are saying that the Bible has taught us to go down this road. And we've got people like R.W. Shambach, who just passed away, what, last week, two weeks ago. And the fav- I mean, that guy can tell stories. He can tell stories forever, and he is good at it. He's the best storyteller I ever heard in my life. The best one, I love that he tells. He was in, I forget the country. I'm pretty sure it was a Muslim country. And he had a, he had a blind man that came up that wanted healing. And his interpreter, he can't speak the Islamic languages, Arab languages. And he told his interpreter, (laughs) he had to speak to an interpreter, and he said, Now, I'm going to pray for this man in the name of Muhammad, that he receive his sight. And I want all you good Muslims (laughs) to listen up out there. We're going to pray in the name of Muhammad. And his interpreter just started backing away. He started shrinking off the back of the stage. He said, I'm not saying that. He said, these people will kill me. He pulled him out here, and he grabbed him hard by, by the back of the neck, and he said, little man, you say what I tell you to say. And he finally got this interpreter to follow his words. And so R.W. Shambach prayed. He said, Lord, in the name of Muhammad, uh, dear Allah, heal this man. And of course, nothing happened, and he waited, and he waited. He looked at his watch, and he said, we're waiting on Muhammad. After five, ten minutes, he said, now... All you good Muslims, listen up. I'm going to pray for him in Jesus' name. And he was making a direct comparison. And he prayed, he laid his hands on this man, he said, in Jesus' name you receive your sight. And this man took off running all over that stage because he was blind from birth. And now he could see. Now you see, R.W. did that to show the people that there is differences in prayer. There's differences in how we pray, what we pray. You know, for one thing, nearly in every battle, you have people on both sides praying to some God for help. What an example. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. Ephesians 5 verse 17. Wherefore, be ye not unwise. We don't want to be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. 
You know, that is so important because that tells us that not only should we, it tells us we can know what the will of the Lord is. That's an important thing. We can know what the will of the Lord is. It's a, it is a little bit of a cop-out to finally pray that, Lord, if it be thy will, because it absolves you of really finding out what is God's will. What does he want? And I'm supposed to, you know, as a Christian, I'm supposed to read this. And that verse tells me, don't be unwise. Go the other direction and understand what the will of the Lord is. What do you think would give you more faith in a situation? Knowing that you were doing what God wanted or what He didn't want? Just knowing that God wants this, that God is on my side, that in itself garners faith. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Now, it's starting at verse 35. Jesus has a parable here of the watchful servants. He talks about um, the servant who didn't know for sure when his master was coming. And some of those servants were lazy because they thought, well, the master's not coming for a while. And when the master got home and found these servants just lounging lazily around, kind of went into a fury and he took care of those servants. And he exhorts his disciples, don't be like that. You be one of those servants that are watchful. Now in, he, in verse 41, Peter says to him, Lord, are you speaking this parable unto us or to everybody here? And so he goes through to describe or to expound this parable to him. Look at verse 46. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him with and it will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Now verse 47. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. Now, He's talking about a servant who knew what God's will was. But what did he do? He didn't actively appropriate it. You know, it's not even enough to know that. I mean, it's a beginning point, but it's not just enough to know that God wants to heal, that it's his will. This verse tells me I'm supposed to appropriate it. When I pray, I'm not supposed to pray, Lord, if it be thy will, or even if it is your will. I'm supposed to go and make a demand on this. I'm supposed to use the authority that God gave me. We are His ambassadors. In all these verses, these parables, what's the one continuous picture? That the Master left. And He left behind some servants. In this parable, some of the servants are laying around eating potato chips. Some of them are up watching. And when, they, when Jesus comes back, he's not too happy with the guys who aren't appropriating his will. That verse in 47 says that the servant that knew what I wanted to have done, but he wouldn't go out and prepare it, he got some stripes laid on him. God is not happy with his people 
just knowing what he wants. He wants us to walk into that hospital room and pray the prayer of faith. Walk out on the limb and pray the way we're supposed to. Father, in Jesus' name, raise this man up. Cancer, you leave this body in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's not a... We don't have to go in there and shoot off fireworks. But in all of these parables, he did the same thing. He painted the picture of that he was the master. We don't doubt... We're, that, that's accepted. Jesus is our master. But he has left this earth for a while. He left his Holy Spirit here with us. And what's that Holy Spirit do? It's supposed to go with us. It's, it gives us power. Jesus told his disciples, you stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and you be endued with power. So the Bible over and over, it paints this picture that he's left, but he has left his people here. His ambassadors, he calls them, in some epistles, his ambassadors. And they're supposed to be, this verse says, appropriating his Lord's will. Huh. These people in history, David out in front of Goliath, I think of Gideon with 600 men going against 20,000. I think of Samson. God has always taken those people that were willing to appropriate his authority and go out into this physical world. God's always reached down and he, he nudges the final outcome in their favor. He does, he, God does take sides. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Oh, yeah, that, this is, how about that for an example? Did the children of Israel know that God wanted them, that it was his desire for them to be in the promised land? You can go back to when God first came to Abraham. This all started with Abraham, then Isaac and Jacob. Jacob had the 12 sons. But you go back a several hundred years in the time of Abraham, and God even told Abraham, your descendants are going to be so numerous to be like the sand on the sea, the stars in the heaven. And I'm going to take him to a place flowing with milk and honey. From that time on, Isaac heard that story. Jacob heard that story. Every tribe, Levi, Reuben, Issachar, Dan, Naphtali, they all knew it. And here they are as slaves in Egypt. God came to Moses on a mountain in a burning bush and he said, It's time. It's time for my people to get where I told them I wanted them. Now see... It was God's will that they be in the promised land. But what did they have to do? They had to appropriate God's power in Egypt with miracles, signs, and wonders, and they marched out. When they got to Jordan, did those Amorites, Hittites, Jebusites, were they there on the Jordan River just laying down their arms saying, God told us you guys are supposed to have this? Did they just lay down and say, Come on in, invite him in, and, and hand the title deed over to them. Those Israelites, even though it was God's will that they be in there, they had to fight for it. They had to fight their way in there. And why was God on their side? Why was God willing to drop the walls of Jericho after those people walked around it seven times? Because they were appropriating His will. If it was not God's will, I'm not sure... I. I am sure. A miracle wouldn't have shown up for those people. 
but they were doing what God told them to do. And he told us, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now look, Deuteronomy chapter 20, the title of that whole chapter, my Bible says, How to Wage War. Or watch out. That, that in itself tells us that God expects us to act. Verse 1, When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses, chariots, and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. God is going to be on your side. Verse 3, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. Fear not and do not tremble. Neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. Because I hate that thought, that notion that gets put on us that God doesn't take sides. I got it written in big letters here. God takes sides. And then there's 12 other verses there that show that God takes sides. If you know God's will, the Bible says that to him that knoweth to do good, and he doesn't do it, to him it's sin. He know, we, if we know what we're supposed to do, if we know that it's God's will to do it, the Bible says it's sin that we don't do it. That is such clear instruction that we're not supposed to be on the sidelines wondering and praying, Lord, if it's your will, no, no. We're supposed to be actively on the front lines engaged in battle and cursing it. And through prayer, kicking its tail. Like Daryl says, God never designed prayer to fail. This verse, God is telling his people, you're going to get out there when you go to appropriate my will in the earth. And you're going to see armies that are bigger than you. They're going to have sharper spears than you got. But don't be afraid. And that's, that's one of the biggest problems we got. Everybody, we're all human. There's human nature. Our eyes see things and our imagination runs wild. And it's pretty easy to picture defeat sometimes. It's pretty easy to picture getting overrun by the enemy. That's why God always encourages people. Have courage. Have faith. Stand in the battle. So these people, the Israelites, I think to the, down to the smallest child, they told them that story that God had told them we're supposed to be in that. That's our land. And you know that none of them had ever been in there before? None of them had been in. They'd been in slavery for 400 years. They're just coming out. And they still know... That's ours. None of them had even seen it yet. But they knew it was God's will that they be in there. And the question is, was that enough? Was it enough to just know that, well, God's will is... See, that comes down to a wrong definition of sovereignty. Yes, God is sovereign. He created us. He created this earth. And people draw the conclusion, well, then that means... He controls everything that goes on. No, no, no. In his sovereignty, because he can do it, because he could control everything, he decided to hand the choice over to us. That's why Amy and I, we both had to make the choice to come to Jesus. God hands these things to the earth. Yes, he, he intervenes. 
And he intervenes on behalf of his people and on behalf of his plan that he has spelled out in the Bible. But people, he's left things up to us. Whether or not John brushes his teeth in the morning is up to me. And that's such a simple example, but it extrapolates. It also is up to me whether or not I share the gospel with somebody. Whether or not I pray for the sick. And I mean pray for the sick, the effectual fervent prayer. Not stand on the sidelines and wonder, Lord, if it's your will. We are supposed to appropriate that will. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what did he say? He said, let's turn there. Luke chapter 9, I'm one page over. It would be terrible to misquote the Lord's Prayer, wouldn't it? You'd look kind of stupid. So that's why he's not doing it. Luke Luke 11, Luke 11. Luke 11, verse 2. He said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be doubted. See, but we pray that all the time. We wonder, if, if it be your will. And see, it sounds compassionate. It sounds like you care. But it's pretty well useless. Because everywhere in here it tells us to pray His will, to find it out and to appropriate it with authority. Hallowed be Thy name, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. To be acted on, to be appropriated. Thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. In other words, what God believes in heaven. He wants it to be put into practice here on the earth. There's an obvious thing that jumps to everybody's mind. Why then is the earth so different than what we know heaven is like? Because of the decisions that man has made down here, starting with Adam. See, none of this is God controlling these things. Yes, God intervenes, and He is working His plan in prophecy. But he has left things up to people. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden because of what they chose to do. There is countless suffering in Russia in the last 200 years because of what people have chosen to do. People are starving in Bangladesh today because of what people have chosen to do or not to do. Allowing certain leaders in there. Letting certain warlords continue to do whatever they want to do. God's going to hold people responsible for some of that. He talked about that, uh, you know, to the, the next verse in, in Luke, where we were reading about the, the servants watching for their master to come back. That's the, the next verse that I didn't read was the one where it said, To whom much is given, much is required. And he has asked some of his people, he's put them on charge to watch here. You know, all, you know what all this says to me? Christians should be populating government. We've turned it completely on its head to say that we're not supposed to get involved. That's a secular thing. Baloney. We're supposed to be appropriating God's will in the earth. And how does it more effectively get done? How is it supposed to get done but through legitimate government? True story. Most of the people... The heroes in your Bible, you know where they were? 
They were leaders in government. Moses was leader. David was out. He was king. He was general. These people were in charge. Some of them were elected. Some of them were anointed, crowned king by the people. And they were anointed by God and they were given grace and ability to conquer because they were appropriating God's will. I'll never get off that. One more verse. We've got to stop. Let's go to... Let's go to Psalm 115. Now just to get it on the tape, the verse in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Hosea 4, 6 says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. And to me, this subject of understanding the, the will of God and acting on it, I think we're destroyed quite often because of that. That we don't take God at His word and that we don't actively engage it into the earth. Psalm chapter 115 and verse 15. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Verse 16. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. And we, we mentioned that verse earlier, but I wanted to end on that because the thought that God has turned over much of the happenings of the earth to people, that should put our lives in a different perspective. It should... It's a convicting thing to thee, to me. That the earth hath he given to men. There are so many things that we can affect. But the, the enemy has done an ingenious thing where he has taught God's people, he has implied it to them, that if it's God's will, that's good enough. That somehow it'll get taken care of after all, God owns this earth. He can do anything He wants. And there's a partial bit of truth there. He can do anything He wants. But what He has done is He has handed that authority, a good portion of it, to His people. The Son of Man is as a man going in a far journey. And He left His servants and gave authority unto them. Father, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for what you have put in your Bible. And Lord, we, we thank you for, for the sacrifice of your Son that, that not only makes us fit for heaven, but that it grants us access, Lord, to your grace, that we may obtain mercy to find help in time of need. Father, we thank you, Lord, for leadership that you have given us in Pastor and Tiff. Lord, guard and protect them, saturate their lives with peace and joy, health and prosperity. And give them God's speed in Jesus' name. Amen.